Welcome to the Radical Audacity Podcast. I'm Tiffany Kane, your host. On this podcast, you are going to meet people that walk their own path, live life on their own terms, let go of other people's rules and expectations and the shoulds in life, and instead live life in their own truth, integrity, and authenticity. This podcast will give you the inspiration you need to live your own radically audacious life. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the new season of the Radical Audacity of Heck. Yes. So my love and life uh, after divorce podcast has switched on over. As I told you guys we were going to be doing, we are now the radical audacity of heck yes. And I am so thrilled to bring you guys the perfect guest to kick off the new season. Laura Williams is an author that is breaking down barriers for women left and right. She wrote a book called Available, and it is all about her sexual journey after divorce and finding herself. And I am just so thrilled for you guys to meet Laura and to hear this conversation. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I'm so excited to be here to kick off. I love your new name. I love your mission. So I'm super excited to be here with you. Yay. I'm so glad. So thrilled. So Laura, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. Actually, let's talk about the cover of this book. <laughs> and then let's go into okay. what inspired you to write this book. Because listeners... You'll come on over to my Instagram or Laura's Instagram. We'll show you the cover of this book. It's amazing. So Laura, tell us yeah. about the cover of the book and then tell us what inspired you to write this book. Okay. Well, so the cover is like a bright blue with a big, juicy peach. Mm-hmm. Um, I my, my publisher... Take you know gets all the credit for that image and for making that cover. Uh, I actually was I, it was so bold in my mind. It was so overtly sexual that I was like, surely we can find another piece of fruit that's a little less sexual, can't we? <laughs> and I then spent um, hours and hours googling sexy fruit to find one that I thought was like just the right kind of sex imparted by fruit. It's crazy. Once you start mm-hmm. looking for sex and fruit, pomegranates, grapefruits, you know, you can you yep. can really go to town. Um, and in the end, they were so wedded to this peach. And um, and I had been very adamant. Originally, actually, it was an eggplant. Oh. And I was very against the eggplant. It was beautiful, but I was like, this is about my sexuality. Not the and male so, sexuality. No. Yes. What, there's no place for an eggplant except as I use it, not <laughs> <Right>. as, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, this is all about me. So we agreed finally to the peach. So that is um, the story of the peach. And what inspired me to write the book, it's it's quite a long story. I'm going to try to to put it into some kind of a nutshell, but I, I had been um, with my husband for 27 years, um, expected to be with him forever, was quite happily married when I found out that he was having an affair. And <sighs> we very quickly um, separated, like within 48 hours, he had moved out. 
And, um, and my, my new life began and my new life pretty much looked like, you know, me lying on the floor weeping mm. and then pulling myself together for our three children, um, to, to help them get through this time and also to be like somewhat dignified and graceful in my grief. Mm-hmm. And about five, six months of this just absolute shock, horror, grief, sadness, depression, you name mm-hmm. it, um, lack of sleeping, lack of eating. Um, I had this incredible epiphany that I was like, I was sitting and I was like, God, you know, I'm now a single woman who has not yet explored what it means to be a single woman. Mm-hmm. And this might be my future. Like it, it, I, I, I don't intend to get back together with my husband and I've been on my own and I should see what life looks like as a single woman. So I went out on a to a bar in town by myself, and I had a I met somebody, and I had a one night stand, and it was um, like an earthquake for me. Mm. It 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 completely like turned everything I thought I knew about myself on on its head, um, and really changed the trajectory of what I thought I wanted going forward, the stability and the safeness, the predictability of the relationship I'd had. I was like, whoa there's something radically different out there and I might actually want it. Mm. So I started a journey. I didn't intend to be a journey, but I, it became a journey of basically uh, sleeping with as many people as I could <laughs> to, <laughs> um, to get knowledge about myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, I'm a very resourceful person when I want to find something out. You know, I'm very like, I'm the first one to like start researching things and to fall down rabbit holes to figure things out. And the only way I could figure this out was by doing. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I went out a lot. I, I had great sex. I had terrible sex. I had amazing dates. I had fun dates. I had heartbreaking dates, you name it. And at the end of like a year of it, uh, friends of mine said, you should write this down. Mm-hmm. You should start writing this down because I think people will be really intrigued by, you know, the experiences you've had. And a lot of them were reflecting back to me that like they were also like me married for decades mm-hmm. and had wondered what would it be like to be a single woman? And so they wanted to hear the stories and they thought, not only do we want to hear your stories as your married friends who are not going to get to do any of this, but just love <laughs> vicariously living through you. Right. But we think that this would be really helpful to other women who are going through it and maybe mm-hmm. not like grabbing it with the kind of gusto that you are. Um, so there were two, you know, there were two really two main things in writing the book, uh, two audiences I was, I guess, mm-hmm. writing to. Um, and I guess I thought my experiences were unique enough and they are and they aren't, you know, lots of women do this. Apparently many, many women in their middle age, sow their wild oats once they've been freed from long marriages. I'm finding it's... <laughs> Listeners, I'm pointing happily to myself with a big smile on my face. Yes, yes. (laughs) So it's it it is common and and it's amazing and it's Mm -hmm. very empowering and it 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 definitely will change your life. It will, it will, especially when you have been like you said, married for decades. I myself was married for 19 years. Well, married 15 together, 19, and you said Uh 27 for you. I was with him for 27 years. So that's a long Mm -hmm. time to be with one person. Yeah, my entire adult life. We started dating when I was 20. It's my entire adult life. Yeah. yeah. You used a phrase that I want to refer back to and dig into a little bit more. You said grabbing with gusto this mm-hmm. um, single life and exploring yourself. I, you know, there is so much, so so many societal 
mm, let's say norms, expectations, uh, hindrances for women and their sexuality, especially when, you know, you're a little bit on the older, 40, 50, 60, you know, um, and how society looks at us as sexual beings. What do you think let you have that, I'm going to call it radical audacity, of embracing Mm -hmm. your sexuality with this gusto, of grabbing it with gusto? Well, actually, that's a great question because I don't think I was a likely candidate for for such a role. And I mm. say that because I think it's important if if a woman is listening to this or a man who has never been very sexual or never in touch with their sexuality and thinks that this is not necessarily something that could be in their future because it wasn't in their past, mm. I really want to make it clear that this was not part of my life. Um, I had slept with two people before I met my husband. Uh, Both of those were long-term relationships, you know, from the time I was 17. And, um, and then my husband and I, you know, we had a really nice sex life in the beginning, but it was, um, hampered by time and Mm -hmm. children and just, Mm -hmm. you know, stress and the things that happened, the sameness of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had become very disengaged from myself. Like it just felt like sex was something that was, um, like a favor I did for him. Mm -hmm. He really needed it. So I felt like I had to like meet a quota (laughs) and I, and I did it. Uh, I did it begrudgingly, I'll say for him. So for me to find myself in a place where I could say, oh my God, I could never have sex again. And the way that I was going in my life, maybe that seemed like a gift. Like I just can get into my bed and no one's pawing at me or having Mm -hmm. expectations of me. It seemed so lovely, like just to be free of bodies that needed my body, especially as I said, not just because of my husband, but three babies over Mm -hmm. a period of 11 years. Mm -hmm. So when I, the first night that I had sex with someone and I realized how much I loved it, but also how he viewed me as an Mm -hmm. incredibly sexual person, even though I hadn't been, I would, that part of me had been so dormant, but it was not how this man perceived me. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to see, well, can, is this a one-off? Can I do this again? And as I started to do it more and more, and I did it with more and more confidence, I realized I had a lot of, uh, power and a lot of sexual mm. power because I was able to sort of manifest these um, things for myself what the the you know the experiences that I wanted they didn't always turn out the way I wanted I mean you don't know until you're having sex with somebody if it's going to be great chemistry and mm-hmm. if they're going to be everything you want in a in a sexual partner but I even learned that that was not something I understood. Like to me, mm-hmm. sex was sex. Like you have, a, it wasn't mm-hmm. like, I, there weren't that many, like, it was vanilla and chocolate. It wasn't that um, remarkable to me. So I, I think the more I did it, it was like anything that you do a lot, you get a lot of practice and it mm-hmm. stops seeming so weird to you, mm-hmm. you know? So I think the more sex I had with the more people, I just started to feel like, oh, this is just something else we do. Like we're human beings we cook, we eat, we read, we connect with our friends, we sleep, like all these things. Sex is one more thing. Mm. And once I was able to perceive in my mind that sex was on a list of things we all do or would probably like to be doing, it kind of just made it like an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. And that got rid of a lot of the shame for me Mm. and the guilt and the awkwardness, the Uh. embarrassment Shame, guilt, awkwardness. Get rid of it. I love that. So it sounds to me like you went on this this huge transformation. You used the term 
when you were married that sex was a favor to your husband. So it mm-hmm. was almost, I don't know if out of body is the right term, but it wasn't for you. And no. then you, towards the end there, talked about realizing you had sexual power. So that to yeah. me sounds like a huge transformation. What did that transformation yeah. do for you as a woman in the world in general? I think it just made me feel like I had power in general. Mm. You know, I think I felt very disenfranchised by the role I'd found myself in. A stay-home mm-hmm. mom for almost 20 years. I haven't made, you know, in income in that time. I ran our household. Um, you know, my husband worked crazy long hours and was, you know, week away for business a lot. And the evenings, I really never had like a partner at home. I felt like really like a one woman show, um, running the household. And I also was a very, um, energetic person. So Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to work outside the home because I really wanted to be around for my children. So I volunteered at everything. Mm. I was the PTA president many times over. I ran book fairs and bake sales and auctions, you name it. So I was always very busy and very productive. And uh, sexuality, I mean, I was tired at the end of the day. And I realized, as I said, I really just wanted to sort of be left alone, Mm -hmm. both physically and like emotionally. Like once I got the kids into bed, I was just done. And so my husband was very sexual. He had a lot of sexual energy and needs. And I recognized that there was sort of like only so long that I could put him off before he would get frustrated or angry with me. So we came after, I don't know how many years of being together. I was like, look, here's, here's what I think we're going to do. I'm going to guarantee you sex on Wednesdays <laughs> and Saturdays. And that means <laughs> every other night I'm off. Like, I'm off the clock. Don't ask. Don't look. Don't touch. If you come home from a business meeting and you're a little tipsy and suddenly you're like an octopus and your tentacles are coming at me from every direction, if it's not a Wednesday or a Saturday, you're out of luck. Don't even try. There's no trading. I mean, I was... Like military, I was really organized about oh, it, like the way I was my organizing my kids' like gosh. school schedules. That yeah. reminds me of the character in Little Fires Everywhere. The um, oh, we yeah, have Reese Witherspoon. Yes, That's the yes. Reese Witherspoon. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I related. There were a lot of things I related to about her yes. and the way she did things, and I was sort of like, it worked. It worked. Mm-hmm. It worked because it took the expectations off of me the other nights of the week, and also made sure that he knew he was going to get what he needed those two nights. Eventually, I'm not going to lie, it became just Saturday night. Um, and that was not enough for him, but mm-hmm. it was enough for me. It was too much for me. I I could go weeks. So, you know, if I had gone, let's say I went like six, like if we ever went like a month because he was traveling or I, I was sick or whatever happens, like by then I would kind of be like, okay, I could use, I could use a, a one night of sex here, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't anything that my vibrator couldn't replace to be frank with you. <laughs> it wasn't, I just didn't need it. I didn't mm-hmm. need the physical affection from him. I didn't crave it. I didn't want it. Uh, And it's really sad to me now. When I look back, I laugh. I do think it's very funny, like how scheduled I am. And like, I sometimes feel bad for him that as a sexual person, he had this wife who was like, is it Wednesday? No. So do, 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 you know, not tonight. Um, But it had been 
It was just really, I'm going to say, a very, very deeply dormant in me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was because I didn't have the partnership I needed from mm-hmm. him. It was because I was tired. It mm-hmm. was for a million different reasons. I had children, you know, in and out of my bed. We had our kids really spaced apart. So I had like kids nursing, as I said, like over a period of 11 years, like it mm-hmm. was, you know, there were, yeah. there were, it wasn't condensed into a short time for me. So realizing that I was, had so much to offer sexually to other people and for myself and that I got to do it completely on my own terms. Mm-hmm. I owed no one anything. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted it, I could have it. If I didn't, I didn't have to. It was like, what? That would seem revolutionary to have sex purely because I wanted it. That really changed my my feeling. And I think it started to make me feel like, well, what else could I have on my own terms? What are other things I can do that maybe I thought weren't mine to choose, but really are? Could I write a book about this? You know, could I stop apologizing for being a woman who is sexual and also being a mom? Hmm. Maybe. And that's, it it kept going from there. The book gave me so much in that sense, because I think once I started, once I saw my power as a sexual woman and found my voice, I also saw my power in the world in a different way. So sex was a vehicle for me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the end all be all, but it was a vehicle for me to find my voice, my energy, my power, myself, Mm -hmm. um, and how to take care of myself just for the sake of taking care of myself, period. I love the word you used, revolutionary, because it is, isn't it? Like it is. realizing that your sexual power, your sexual energy, your sexuality is for you yeah. and for your needs and your personal growth and your pleasure and for whatever it is you want it to be for. I don't think women have had permission no. for their sexuality to be for them in whatever way, shape, and yeah. form they want to show that sexuality. And it's always been for maybe the male gaze or uh, dictated by religion and society as to the purpose of your sexuality to propagate humanity yeah, yeah, and absolutely keep societies going and for the idea i mean it's it is very radical and very modern for the idea of sexuality to be for the express purpose of pleasure yeah I mean, there were yeah. some societies in history, more matriarchal type of societies, where sexuality was a religious, spiritual uh, thing, but not very many, and definitely no. not in our patriarchal religions. No, and I think that most women, you know, have been in very frustrated, mm-hmm. right, because they're they don't get what they need. Some mm-hmm. of them know they want it. Like in the awakening, you know, sometimes they, they're mm-hmm. very aware that they want it. They just can't get it. And sometimes they know they can't get it at their husband's are all over mm-hmm. town. And they're still, that's not part of what they're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been, you know, and I think there's a lot of shame. I think that this idea, especially that when you are a mother, motherhood mm-hmm. in our society equals martyrdom. Yeah, Right? You are the 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 trope of the giving mother mm-hmm. does everything for her children and obliterates herself mm-hmm. to serve the needs of her family. 
I did that. I did it happily and with great love and not with resentment. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. doing those things for my family. So when I realized that I could actually have both, it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm not going to go out. Like if I knew that my kids were otherwise occupied and I had a free night, well, I could do whatever I wanted. What's the difference if I'm sitting home watching TV or out having a one night stand? I'm not, there's no difference to anybody's lives. Nobody's lives are being negatively impacted by this. Um, And I took it a step further because I, then I said, I'm not only going to do it, I'm going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I, I think again, it's like, look, I think I'm totally there for my kids. I totally love my kids. They're always going to come first, but there's room for myself in there now too. And I don't feel apologetic about it anymore. You know, and I think I did in the beginning, I still felt apologetic, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that I'd have to explain myself or defend myself. And I don't think, like, I often think to myself, well, what would a man do in this position? Can you imagine a man apologizing if he'd split up from his wife and he had a night without his children, apologizing for going out and having sex with somebody? No. Can you imagine a world in which we would expect a man to apologize for that? Yeah. No. no. Doesn't happen. No. Doesn't happen. No. In fact, it's almost no. expected, right? People would think <laughs> it was weird. People <laughs> would think it was strange. People would be like, what's wrong with him? Like, mm-hmm. You know, was he now going to start talking about self care and spa days? Like, what? What is he? Was he? You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love this. So you brought up that you're talking about it. Your mom, your kids are hearing that you're talking about it. They know you wrote this book. How are they taking it? How 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 do you navigate that conversation with your children? Super awkwardly. Uh, not gonna <laughs> lie, it, it was not like that. Was not a roll off your tongue, like all, uh, you know, conversation that I would ever want to have to repeat. And I've had like forty of them already. <laughs> so uh, again, it's like anything. We've we've worn away the awkwardness because it's been you know a couple of years, and so they're they're aware of it. Um, my kids are now. My daughters are twenty one and eleven. And my son is uh, 18. So I had spent a lot of time at home alone with the 18-year-old because the my older daughter was away at college and my daughter would go to her father's. Um, and so the 18-year-old and I would be home alone and I was uh, working on writing, you know, this like proposal for my book. And I finally said to him, I just want to tell you what I'm working on um, because he uh, he's in theater. He mm-hmm. um, goes to school for, to study theater. And he loves, he was really into writing theater for a while plays. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, let's like talk writer to writer here. Um, you know, respect the process of when you have something to say. And I, I, and I told him what I was doing and he was like, okay, I mean, I don't think I'll read it, but like (laughs) live your life, you know, do your thing. It's fine. And he really never felt anything. He was like once or twice, he'd say it's a little embarrassing, but mostly I'm just proud of you. And I love that. Yeah, he was really open and I think was able to see me just as a person that Mm -hmm. existed separately from being his mom. Mm -hmm. I think for my older daughter, it was a little harder. She and I are so close and we are so similar in in many ways and very dissimilar in many ways. But the ways in which we're similar, I think it was hard for her to accept that this was something that I was doing because it kind of reflected on her a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she just felt really embarrassed about it. She's Mm -hmm. much more private. Mm-hmm. And she felt like, do this if you want to do it. Sleep with anyone you want. But like, don't 
talk about it. <laughs> but I, the more she said it, the more I was sort of like, wait, is that because of my age? Because I'm your mother? Because I'm a woman? I mean, she's a staunch feminist, you know, progressive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why shouldn't I? I just need to understand. And she said, it's embarrassing. You're my mother. This is private. You're, you know, you're middle-aged. And then I was like, well, that's it. Mm-hmm. Now I got to do it mm-hmm. because it's now on. I see. It's on because anything in my, I came from a family of um, secrets. Everything mm-hmm. was a secret. You mm-hmm. know, there were a million things that weren't discussed. They were very taboo and uh, you never brought them up. And when you did, you did so with like your eyes averted because you would die of embarrassment for having to ask a question about sh- sex, about death, about mental illness, you name it. And I really didn't want to raise my children that way. So Mm -hmm. I'd always been incredibly open about everything. And when she made me feel like I was doing something sort of unseemly Mm -hmm. that I was writing about, I thought, actually, I'm sorry. Like, I I almost need to teach you Mm -hmm. that this is okay. And you'll see the world's not going to end when I do it. And you'll see it's okay. And we are not going to be women who apologize for being (sighs) sexual. What and a we are, gorgeous yeah. lesson you taught mm. a 21-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Like, if I had been able to learn those lessons yeah. in my late teens, early 20s, I think the trajectory of my life and the decisions I would make would be so different. And I think you're you're really giving her a gift, even though she's a little bit <laughs> embarrassed and it's difficult the amount of shame you're taking away from her, the amount of permission you're giving her to ask questions about the norms, to ask questions and say, wait, wait yeah. a minute, is it because my, of my mom and her age, because of her identity as a mother, because of societal expectations? Are these the reason, are these really good, valid reasons to not talk about this? And you're allowing her to ask those questions and you're bringing those questions up and you're sitting in that uncomfortable space with her. How powerful, how powerful. Yeah, it has been. And I think, you know, we've reached a comfortable place where we can talk about it. For example, if something good happens for the book or something exciting happens or there's something, you know, like a review or uh, I can share that with her and she will be really excited and happy Mm -hmm. for me and proud of me. And she'll even sometimes, every once in a while, she'll post something on her social media, like that's my mom. Oh, that must feel good. It does, especially for anybody that knows the journey we've been on through this, that when she says that to me, that's not just like a person being like, hey, that's my mom. That's like my kid who was like, this book is going to kill me mm-hmm. and now can say I'm proud of you, even though it was hard for me. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I mean, my 11-year-old, she's so um, open and flexible about the way she perceives the world. You know, I think she's she has the benefit of being the third child mm-hmm. um, and she is, she was like a little awkward about it at first. And then now she feels like it kind of gives her a little street cred. Like she can tell people, oh, my mom's a published author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're, mm-hmm. you know, and she's, so she went to, um, when she started at middle school, she told her English teachers, the librarian, and she said, my mom's a published author. And the English teacher said, well, maybe she can come in and talk to us about the publishing process. <laughs> and my daughter said, well, it's not really a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your daughter sounds precocious. I love her. <laughs> she is. And I, so I said to her, well, you know, I'd be happy to come and talk about it. We just won't talk about what the book is about. And she was like, okay. But, you know, she's she loves to tell people that, I, that I've published a book. And... Um, 
you know, she knows what it's about mm-hmm. and she's too young for it. And so we don't talk about the content, but she knows very much what it's about. She knows what the peach means. She knows what the eggplant <laughs> means. Um, you know, we walked by a bookstore in LA recently and there was a big float in the window of a peach and a big float of an eggplant. It was like their summer display. And she was like, mom, please let me take a picture of you in front of this window. It's so perfect for your, for your Instagram. (laughs) Oh my God. That's hilarious. That is so But at the same time, if I try to talk about like puberty with her, if I even so much as say the P word, she's like, shut it down, mom, shut it down. I don't want to talk about this with you. So she's normal. She's normal. She's normal. It's like, (laughs) this is not scarring her one way or the other. It's not making her sexually emboldened and Mm -hmm. nor is it making her, you know, like think wish that it would go away it just she's just a normal 11 year old Mm -hmm. who has a mom who talks about her sex life that's it and how wonderful i mean to be able to talk to your kids and say hey this is this thing called sex and you can talk to me about it you know i've had similar i have a um, 16 year old son and so i've had similar conversations of hey buddy you know i know you're dating and these types of situations may come up and you know that I've been dating, and so I'm going through these types of situations as well. So if you ever want to talk about it, I'm we're in the same boat. Like, it's okay. I love that. So there's yeah. not big um, taboos of things we can't yeah. talk about. Now, he has no desire to talk about any of those right. things with me, but he <laughs> but knows he it's okay. And yeah. he knows that I'm not so far removed that I would have no idea, Right, right. Right. Like, you know that you're orbiting this Mm -hmm. topic. Yeah. Listen, Mm -hmm. I've given my son condoms. I mean, I've given him a box, you know, when he was dating somebody, I I gave him them a big box um, of them for Christmas (laughs) because I said it was like a jumbo box because I was like, you guys do whatever you want and not have fun. And you're Mm -hmm. committed to each other and it's beautiful and it's lovely. But like, you got to be careful. That's be safe. Yeah. Let's be as because that's my lesson. My lesson is mm-hmm. not don't have sex. My lesson is have sex and be safe and respectful. Mm-hmm. So I think you know it has been nice that this has enabled me to have these conversations with my kids. And again, we're not like my daughter's my eldest. She's not calling me to talk about sex with me, but mm-hmm. she will tell me if she's been with somebody. You know, she'll tell me the general theme. She's not telling me like the detailed mechanics of it, but right. she'll tell me what she's up to. She has no problem telling me. Um, you know, who she's been with and what she's been doing because I don't bat an eye. Right. You're not judging her, which is great. No, and, I, and I'm not calling her to tell her what I'm doing because she doesn't want to know. And you know, <laughs> the other gift that you've given your children that I think m- probably many of us, especially you and I aren't far apart in age, I think that it was, I don't know about you, but I know my experience seeing my parents as human beings beings outside yeah. of parents is hard. And I know mm-hmm. for them, very even harder, right? Um, there's been this kind of societal thing of parents kind of holding their identities close to their heart and only being parents to their children, which I yeah. think does a disservice to the kids because they don't realize that they have human beings for parents with mm-hmm. hopes and dreams and desires and heartbreaks and and successes and all of the things which allows you to feel more connected, right? Allows you but to talk to your parents about those things. It's so interesting though, because 
that is such an age old theme, right? Like no one ever wants to think about what their parents were doing mm-hmm. or what their pa- that are, their parents are people or flawed people, mm-hmm. you know, or sexual people or whatever it is. And I think I remember once early on having a fight with my daughter. When I first started dating, she was super upset with me. She said, it's too soon for me. And mm-hmm. I said, okay. But like this was maybe eight, nine months after um, her dad and I split up. And I said, but it's not too soon for me. So who am I living for? Mm-hmm. And she said, I, I, you know, she's, you know, the problem is now you're like too human in my eyes. <gasps> and I really made a lot of things click for me. I mm-hmm. get it. We mm-hmm. put our parents on a pedestal mm-hmm. and we want to see them as the protector, the hero, the mm-hmm. savior, you know, they give everything for us. Um, and then we, and then we're rebellious also, and we want to see yeah. them as the things that are holding us back and mm-hmm. the, the, the reasons why we didn't do X, Y, or Z. But in my case, she really saw me, she really idealized me. And mm-hmm. I wanted to just keep saying to her, don't like, as your mom, I love you more than anything, totally unconditionally. I'm a person though, with human needs with mm-hmm. individual intimate needs that cannot be met just by being your mother. And mm-hmm. by the way, I hope someday you have children and love them so much like I love you and also have a separate life. Yep. Because I wasn't good at carving that out for myself. I mm-hmm. wasn't. And so I think I very much allowed and enabled my children not to see me as human. Mm-hmm. And then like at at a point when they were already well into their teenage years, I was like, okay, guess what? I'm human. Not time to see me differently. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. And they wait, were wait, like, wait, <laughs> which is maybe why for the 11 year old, you know, she was like six when her dad mm-hmm. and I separated. So she's almost always seen me as human. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy for her to accept me as being such. Yes. But maybe less so for the older ones. Yeah. Because for them, I was like the PTA mom, mm-hmm. you know, who was in the PTA office. You could find me there. I knew every teacher. I knew every child. I was always ready with my decorated cupcakes. <laughs> and so that's not really, I mean, that's human. But if that's all you are, then right. you are a mom, 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love this conversation so much. Me too. <laughs> this is so great. I feel like there is just so much we could dive into. Yeah. But Agreed. we are coming to the end of our time together. And I have three really fun questions that I love okay. to ask all of my guests so that the listeners kind of get to know you in a little bit different way. So... um my community of listeners, we're all big, giant book nerds. We love <laughs> books so much. Mm-hmm. So we always like to Same. know, what book are you reading right now? Okay. Um, I am always listening to, I love audiobooks, and mm. um, I always am reading a novel, mm-hmm. and I'm always listening to an audiobook. And the audiobook I'm listening to right now is very long. It's the memoir by Huma Abedin, who Ooh. was Hillary Rodham Clinton's um, aide. Yeah, like oh. her like right-hand person for many years and then went through her own scandal when her husband was like sent to jail for being a pedophile mm. or uh, mm-hmm. she was with a New York, um, I don't know if he was a representative, Anthony Weiner. Anyway, Wiener, I'm yep. listening to her and it's fascinating. What a great name for a sexual 
Yeah, I mean, deviant problem guy. It's so (laughs) unfortunate. It's so. It's like the jokes you can imagine. The New York Post. It was like a gift. It was just Mm -hmm. a gift to the New York Post. Mm -hmm. But I'm finding the whole behind the scenes of the White House and behind the scenes of a marriage. And when you see a woman who is always really poised and put together and well spoken, what is going on beneath that? And Mm -hmm. that is. I wish the book delved into it a little deeper. I don't think she goes as deep, but it's still enough to be pretty interesting. And I, I have a lot of admiration for her and, and what she endured and how gracefully she endured it. Mm. Um, so that is what I'm listening to. And I'm reading a novel called, I'm almost done with this novel that I've been reading, a historical novel called Hamnet by, I think it's Maggie O'Farrell. Um, what is that Maggie one about? Farrell. It's about, it's supposed to be sort of based on like, Shakespeare as a playwright with a son who died. Oh. I actually, I, I like it. I like it. It's historical fiction. It's not really my thing. Mm. Um, I like it fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Glowing review. <laughs> Fascinating. All right. Okay. So the next question then is they're making the movie of your life and you get to pick three songs for the soundtrack. What are those three songs? Okay, number one, Good as Hell, Lizzo. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that book got me through <laughs> every first date. It was. Mm-hmm. I would put it on when I was getting ready to go on a date, and I would be like, just flip your hair, do your mm-hmm. hair toss, check your nails. How, Baby, how are you feeling? Feeling good as good hell. As hell. That's how. That's how I'm feeling. And um, I was like, that really, that song. Okay, so good as hell. Love, I just love Lizzo and I love that song. Um, I would also pick, um, oh God, I'd have to pick something by Taylor Swift. I just too, I'm too, um, what do you, what's the word? Um, I've been ingrained. It's been Mm -hmm. ingrained in me Mm -hmm. because my daughter has been like her number one fan since she was a little girl. Um, She's a great songwriter. You would be surprised. She's a great songwriter. So many of my guests list Taylor Swift. Oh, good. Okay. It's a, it's a, there's a very high percentage because she's just, she's a good songwriter. Um, I would say um, the the song 15, because when you're 15, Mm. you know, when you're 15, somebody tells you they love you. What, what, you know, I don't remember where it goes, but I think that because there's a real before and after, there's mm-hmm. a real shift. It's like this real idea of maturity, mm-hmm. and that can be at any age, like when you're 45 and someone tells you they love you, and you know, any mm-hmm. age someone tells you they love you, you're going to believe them probably. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I love that song, I just find it really just poignant, powerful, emotional, vulnerable. I love it. Okay, the third song. Well, I'm going to pick something a little more fun. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I got to pick something like, an, what's that? Like, walk this way. Oh, walk this way. Talk this way. You know, yep. yeah, just do it. Walk yeah. however you want. Let's talk however it. you want. Just like break out some old rock. And um, who sung that song? Was it was it Run DMC or, um, or was it Aerosmith? <laughs> I'm leaning towards now. I'm leaning towards Aerosmith. I I feel like now I need to look it up because um, I think you do. Let's see. I'm so embarrassed. I hope nobody listen. I love music. I I often get old music mixed up. Okay. All right. So I don't know where I came up with Run DMC, but Aerosmith. I'm just gonna. Hey, maybe Run DMC covered it at some point, or maybe they should. So (laughs) (laughs) get back together. (laughs) Anyway, those are my songs. Those are it's an eclectic list that I'm gonna stick with. I love it. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So my last question. 
question mm-hmm. is basically the title of this podcast. I would love to know an example of um, a moment of radical audacity that you had where you said, heck yes. Okay, I've got it. Uh, The very first time I went home with a stranger from a bar was the first night I decided I was going to go out. I met this man in a bar. I couldn't believe my good fortune that I would like of all the the single men, there were none. I mean, everybody in the bar was like 80 uh, and with a woman. And I was like, oh, there, and there happened to be this one man. I swear I conjured him. And I went back to his hotel room with him and he went into the bathroom and I took off all my clothes while he was in the bathroom. And when he came back out, I was standing by the bed naked. And we just kind of looked at each other. And I thought, oh my God, I totally screwed this up. This is not how it's done. And by the way, this was my first time in 27 years. I didn't know. Uh, So I said to him, is this too much? And he said, no, definitely not too much. (laughs) And the fun began. So that was my, that was my heck yeah moment of like, I'm just going to do this. Like, I don't know how it's done. I'm just going to do it. And I did it. Oh my gosh. It changed I love that. everything for me. It changed every it led to a million more heck yeah moments. I love that. Okay, so I I mm-hmm. had a somewhat similar in my first. It had it was somebody we'd kind of been messaging and we finally met up. And he took me out to dinner and then, you know, we went back and and had some fun. But I remember the whole dinner, I'm like, I don't even want to be here. I just want to be like, let's do this thing. Like, I am ready. I had myself ready, you know, waxed and dressed and manicured and hair done. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to eat. Like, let's not. And I literally told him, I'm all, I I don't want you to take me out to dinner. I want you to take me to bed. Let's be done. (laughs) And he's like, oh, really? Okay. (laughs) And did he? Yeah. (laughs) And it was awesome. <laughs> and it's so amazing. it helped the divorce process so yes, much because so I was just much. like, I will never, I can never go back to what was before yeah. because mm. part of me woke up, right? It was yeah. that I was like, this person is my vehicle to learn about myself. <laughs> that was really what it was. I, I'm like, I don't want to go on a date yeah. with you. I just kind of I just, want, I just want you to. <laughs> could you ever have imagined a time in your life before that where you would have been so bold? No. Yeah, exactly. No, never. And that's the beauty of, I think, yep. also just being middle-aged and being able to yep. say, like, the, the man that I was with, he actually, it was, we had left this bar because he was hungry. He wanted to get food. And I actually, the same thing happened. He said, will you sit and eat with me? And I said, no, I'm not hungry. And he said, will you have a drink? And I said, no. And are you really that hungry? And I just kind of looked at him like, come on. The real deal is right here. He's like, got it. And that was it. it. There was no dinner to be eaten by him that night. This isn't about us getting to know each other better as human beings. This is about, let's just like, we're ready. This is how you close the deal. This is how you close the deal. (laughs) You just need to sign. Let's sign on the dotted line, dude. Sign on the dotted line. Like we're ready. Um, so are we, okay, so this is kind of that annoying question new parents always mm-hmm. get when you hit, bring home your brand new baby and everybody's like, so when's mm. the second? So you've got this mm. brand new baby of your book. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to ask the annoying question. Yeah, no, ask Is it. there another one in the works? Sorry, do you and see yourself doing another one? I hope so. I really <sighs> hope so. I have some ideas for it. Not really, you know, more, I don't know. 
I don't know. I have a million mm. ideas. I mean, I've been writing. Um, I've been writing sort of blogging on Medium. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. I'm going to follow you. I'm on Medium too. Oh, super. I can't wait. Uh, I will find you too. Um, but I write a lot. Of, I try to write consistently once a week. I've fallen off a little bit recently, but mm-hmm. um, I try really hard to do that. And I think it's made me look at the world a little bit more mm-hmm. sharply um, and observe things and then th- take them and dissect them and think about them. So I'm, I'm contemplating what another book would look like for me if it would be on a similar subject or about something else. I love writing Mm -hmm. that I feel very excited to have writing in my life now and to be able to write and then talk about writing and then to meet women like you who are doing these podcasts that are so empowering and that I feel so connected with. So there will be something. I just don't know yet exactly what that something is going to be. Well, as Elizabeth Gilbert says in her book, Big Magic, the idea will come to you. Like ideas mm-hmm. are visit us like s- creative spirits that come. And if you're open and you're receptive, I have a feeling it's going to come visit you. So, I like that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. How can people a find conversation? you, Laura? Oh, okay. So I'm on all the usuals suspects of social media, (laughs) Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm Laura Friedman Williams, uh, or they can look up Available. That's the name of the book. It's Available, A Memoir of Sex and Dating After Marriage Ends. And then, as I said, on Medium also. So any of those platforms. And um, I get lots of DMs from women who want to tell me about their own stories. And I always answer. I love to hear from people and love to know what people's experiences have been. Um, So if anybody wants to reach out to me, do. It almost sounds like you you should start your own podcast and let women tell Mm -hmm. their stories. I mean. (laughs) Oh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can collect those stories in a book. And then. (laughs) Maybe maybe the idea is just come to me out of the universe. I might think about that. I might think about that. (laughs) Thank you, Tiffany. This has been so helpful. (laughs) Well, I love the energy you put out into the world. I love the way you're smashing down shame and barriers and societal norms. I love the way you're owning yourself as a woman and you're showing up in the world as a woman, very whole and vulnerable and raw and real. And the way you're mothering, I think it's a very good example of being a real vulnerable whole mother. And um, it's just, it's been an absolute honor to have you here today. And listeners, I hope you look up Laura. And listeners, I would love to hear what you think of this episode. Come on over, visit me on Instagram, DM me. I love it when you guys reach out. Tell me what you think of this episode. And um, maybe we'll have Laura on again in the future because this has been a great conversation. And I feel like we have so many stories you could share and we could have so much fun. I think we have a lot of rabbit holes we could fall down together. Oh, Something yeah. Something tells me. <laughs> Something tells me that you and I yeah. need to sit down with a glass of wine and just have a girl Oh, I can't wait. Someday <laughs> that'll happen. I can't yes. wait. Fine, Laura. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you so much for being with me today. I hope the stories of radical audacity that you heard today inspire you. If something resonated with you, please come on over to my DMs and let me know what you think of the episode, or better yet, leave a rating and review. And if you can think of a friend that would love to be inspired by these stories and would be uplifted and encouraged, please share this episode with your friend. Thank you so much for being here on this journey with me. Have a beautiful day.